Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The volume. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Monday, everybody. I hope all of you guys had an incredible weekend. We are live on AMP, so if you're watching on YouTube, or listening on the podcast feed. So don't forget that AMP is the very first place that you guys can get these shows. We are going to be starting our annual player rankings today. The top 25 players in the league. We're going to be hitting 25 through 22 today. Then we're going to do three more guys on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday this week. And two on Friday. And then 10 through 1 over the course of the next two weeks. You guys know the drill before we get started. Subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't miss any show announcements. And if for whatever reason you guys miss one of these videos and you can't get back over to YouTube to finish, don't forget you can find them wherever you get your podcasts under hoops tonight. All right, let's talk some basketball. So my personal criteria is going to look at your overall winning impact on both ends of the floor. We're not just going to be looking at box score stats. We're going to be looking at the various ways that players can impact winning in every single facet of the game. There's a particular player on today's list that does not have a very impressive statistical set of numbers to look at from this season. As a matter of fact, there are going to be guys who don't make the list entirely that have more impressive stat lines throughout the season. But I thought this player was monumentally important for his team on both ends of the floor on the way to a deep run in the playoffs that came very close to winning an NBA championship. And so that's the kind of thing we're going to be looking at. Overall winning impact on both ends of the floor. Secondly, specifically how your game translates to the playoff setting. Obviously, there's value in the regular season, and there are guys on this list that even missed the playoffs last year. But we know that they bring a certain amount of value that is important to a basketball team during a regular season. That is certainly part of it. But at the end of the day, the reason why we do all of this is for a crack at the Larry O'Brien Trophy. And in order to win the Larry O'Brien Trophy, you have to win 16 games in late April 
May, and June. And so your game needs to be able to translate into that setting where it's more physical, where there's more scouting, where the crowds become more intense, where the pressure rises up a notch, and everything becomes harder. The guys that thrive on that level, in my opinion, will always be more valuable than the guys that don't. And last but not least, team success. Again, at the end of the day, we play the games to win. And we played to, to win games on the way to that Larry O'Brien trophy. So I will be giving preferential treatment in this list to guys that made longer playoff runs or at least made the playoffs or won in some capacity in the playoffs compared to guys that did not either have that much success in the playoffs or that missed the playoffs entirely. So that's basically the criteria. Overall winning impact on both ends of the floor, how your game translates to the playoffs, and did you lead to team success? <clears throat> All right, let's start with number 25, a guy who missed this list last year, but in his perpetual um, ability to get his team to the postseason and to give himself a fighting chance, even in a matchup that I didn't think they had much of a chance against uh, the Boston Celtics. This guy crawled into the list as a couple of other guys have backed out from last year. Trey Young. A little quick season recap. In the regular season, he played 73 games, so it was very available. Averaged 26 points and 10 assists per game on 57% true shooting. Um, both of his scoring volume and efficiency were down from last year by just a touch. In the playoffs, they lost in six games to the Boston Celtics. He averaged 29, 4, and 10 on 52% true shooting, so a little dip in efficiency. But he did get crazy hot in the fourth quarter of Game 5. He had 16 points in the quarter, including a bunch of threes down the stretch and the game winner to stretch that to a sixth game. But then in Game 6, with the Hawks up by three with six minutes left, he went really cold, missed his last five shots, and Boston won by eight. So that's kind of a quick recap of what Trey Young's season was like. He was, a, as a, like an overview of what he does as a basketball player, he was the highest volume pick-and-roll player in the league last year by a mile. They ran uh, uh, 1,726 Trey Young pick-and-rolls, which was 350 more than second place on that list, which was Luka Doncic at a little over 1,375, I think, or 1,374. So not even in the same stratosphere as anybody in the league when it comes to just Trey Young comes down the floor and runs pick and roll every single trip down the floor. Um, his strength in that setting is his passing ability. We think a lot about Trey Young hitting crazy step-back threes or floaters in the lane, and those are certainly things that he's capable of, but scoring is not his strength. Um, the Hawks were much better when he passed out of pick and roll than when he shot. He uh, passed out of pick and roll almost half the time, about 47% of the time to be exact. And that was when he was most deadly. The Hawks scored 1.19 points per possession in pick and roll when Trey Young passed the basketball. He specifically has an eye for his lob threats, whether that's out of the dunker spot or uh, screening and rolling hard to the basket. Atlanta constantly had guys like Clint Capella and John Collins who could rise up over the top of the defense and catch passes above the rim and finish. And Trey was just great at hitting those guys. They averaged 1.36 points per possession when Trey passed to the roll man in pick and roll. That's incredible. And 1.6 points per possession when he was hitting cutters along the baseline. So the bread and butter for Trey and his success in pick and roll is his ability to manipulate the backline defender and to find openings for his dunkers at the rim. Overall, he scored just 1.05 points per possession in pick and roll, which is good, not great. And that's because when he would try to shoot 
out of pick and roll. They scored just 0.94 points per possession. And the reason why is he's not particularly great at actually making shots. He was 35.8% on pull-up jumpers, which is below average for most pull-up shooting guards, high-volume ones at least. 37% on catch-and-shoot jumpers. Again, good, not great. 47.7% at the rim. This is actually crazy. There were 71 players last year um, that attempted, I'm trying to find the exact number, uh, 71 players attempted at least 300 shots at the rim last year. Trey's 47.7% ranked 70th out of 71 players. So he's literally one of the worst rim finishers in the league. And the one thing he's great at making in pick and roll is his floater. He makes about half of them on massive volume, 380 attempts last year. But all of the other stuff, the pull-up jump shot, the catch-and-shoot jump shots, the shots at the rim, just not as good as his peers there. And so it's ironic because Trey Young kind of has a a reputation as being a scoring guard, but his best strength is passing the basketball. I think part of the reason for that is he's a little repetitive. Almost every ball screen comes from the top of the key. Almost every single time he uses the ball screen, he doesn't have good balance between rejecting the screen or using it. Using it. He uses the screen about almost 80% of the time. And then obviously with Trey Young, the uh, the book is out on him. If you can chase him off that three-point line and funnel him into the basket, he will miss shots amid all that congestion around the rim. I think that's part of why his scoring efficiency isn't where it needs to be. But that playmaking efficiency brings everything up to where it is a dependable offensive engine in the NBA. There were, But that 1.05 points per possession, just to give you an idea, 15 players logged at least 1,000 pick and rolls last year. And Trey Young ranked ninth. So out of the super high volume pick and roll guys, Trey was kind of in that bottom half. Luka Doncic, Damian Lillard, Donovan Mitchell, James Harden, Jalen Brunson, DeMar DeRozan, Chris Paul, and Tyrese Halliburton all were more efficient than Trey Young in high volume pick and roll situations. Same type of thing in ISO, not very efficient when he tried to score the basketball 0.94 points per possession, but when he passed out of ISO, 1.31 points per possession. I was watching a bunch of Trey Young ISOs this morning. He's at his best when he's manipulating that backline defender. Same thing as the pick and roll concept. All he's doing is making some sort of quick move to get into some gap in the defense again uh, in that ISO situation, getting that rim protector to just take his eyes and 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 kind of lose focus for a split second off ball. That's when he's throwing the lob, or that's when he's throwing that bounce pass for the dunk. Um, I'm actually curious uh, without John Collins there this year if. Uh, because of the fact that you can't really play a Kongu and, and Capella at the same time. I'm kind of curious to see how they're going to build that front court around him because he does need those lob threats. Um, that's somebody that he's uh, something that he's constantly trying to use when he's on the floor. So his strengths, he's one of the best passers in the league. He's great at manipulating defenses to find openings around the rim for dunkers. And he's capable of making enough shots to keep the defense honest. Uh, over a point per possession in both pick and roll and ISO at massive volume automatically makes you an above average offensive engine in the NBA. And to Trey's credit, he was able to maintain that into the playoffs this year. He was over a point per possession in pick and roll and ISO in the playoffs against Boston. And that was a big part of why they pushed a super talented Celtics team to six games. Uh, his shot making took a little bit of a step back. He only shot 40% in the Celtics series, but his playmaking actually went up a level as he picked Boston's defense apart. His weaknesses, he's not nearly as good at his, uh, as his peers at actually making shots. He's an inefficient pull-up jump shooter, one of the worst rim finishers in the league like we talked about earlier. He's a little too repetitive um, and predictable with his attack, so I'd like to see him add more off-ball stuff. 
And then he's the worst defensive player in the league at his position. Although the Hawks have gotten pretty good at covering for him over the years. So when you have one of the best offensive engines in the league, a top five scoring guard or top five passing guard in the league and a top 15 uh, uh, scoring guy in the league to be down at 25, that's a product of the fact that he struggles so much defensively and he struggles so much to actually put the ball in the basket efficiently. But I I was on the fence between four guys for this 25 spot. It was either going to be John Morant, Bradley Beal, James Harden, or Trey Young. I actually tweeted this out as a poll, and most of you guys lean towards John Morant. But I went with Trey because I think he has the best combination of current ability I'm a little bit down on John Morant in general right now. I didn't think he played particularly well in the Lakers series, and then obviously all the off-court immaturity stuff is starting to hurt the team. But Trey Young also has the playoff pedigree just two years ago, leading his team to a conference finals. So I decided to give the nod to Trey Young at 25. All right, number 24, Bam Adebayo. Season recap. In the regular season, he played 75 games, averaged 20 points, 9 rebounds, and 3 assists on 59% true shooting. That was a career high for him in scoring volume. In the playoffs, took a little bit of a dip, 18 points per game, 10 rebounds, 4 assists, 53% true shooting. Um, lost, uh, lost a little bit of his touch around the rim in particular as that playoff run progressed. They lost in 5 to the Denver Nuggets in the NBA Finals, and this is the one that I was referencing at the beginning of the show. This is the guy that you look at the numbers and it's like 18, 10, and 4. And we're considering him to be the 24th best player in the league. I understand why that can be a little confusing. But again, if you watched the Miami Heat this year and you look at the way that they were beating teams, a large part on the strength of Eric Spolstra and all of the curveballs he was throwing against every team in terms of mixing up defensive coverages, going to zone as often as he did, the ability for Bam Adebayo to both switch and to work in drop coverage I believe Bam is the most versatile defender in the NBA right now. Not necessarily the best defender. I think that guy's ahead of him on this list. But I do think he is the most versatile defender in the NBA right now. And what he did as a versatile defender for Miami unlocked a lot of the things that they were capable of doing to throw other teams out of rhythm. And that's why I have him so high on this list. Again, I don't think he's the best rim protector in the world, That's Anthony Davis. I don't think he's the biggest or strongest guy at his position. That's either Jokic or Embiid, right? And he's not the best perimeter defender in the world. But he's really damn good at all of those things. He is an excellent rim protector. He can bang with bigger bodies. And he can switch out onto the perimeter with some of the best players in the world. And so being that great at all of those individual things allows Eric Spolster to be like, hey, you're going to guard Giannis this series. Okay, now it's the Knicks. Now we're going to have you you know, uh, mixing in drop coverages and switches and the same thing down the line against Boston and against Denver, the flexibility they had to use Bam in all these different coverages. Like, Hey, like we're going to run a two, three zone. The only way that's going to work is if your big man is super active, getting in and out of the paint to avoid the defensive three second call and securing all the defensive rebounds that he needs to secure. It's an extremely difficult job. That's why so many teams don't run zone in the NBA, but it works because of Bam. Bam allowed them to run zone and to run it effectively. Bam allowed them to switch and to switch effectively. Bam allowed them to run drop coverage and run it effectively. He unlocks everything that they do on the defensive end of the floor. And again, he may not be the best defender in the world, but that versatility uniquely brings a ton of winning impact to Miami. 
On the offensive end of the floor, a career-high 20 points per game this season, over a points per possession in both post-ups and isos. The main thing that kind of drove that was he was really good from the left block getting to like a short jump shot over his left shoulder or a short hook shot over his left shoulder. He shot, uh, actually shot 44% on his little short mid-range pull-up jump shot during the regular season. But in the playoffs, that efficiency tanked. He made less than 60% of his shots at the rim. He only made 30% of his pull-up jump shots. And you could probably tell, Heat fans in particular will remember this, but Bam, it just felt like he missed a lot of bunnies, whether it was in the short roll or whether it was in post-ups against ISOs or offensive rebound putbacks. He just missed a lot of shots that he normally makes during the course of the regular season. And that ended up being an issue for the Heat, especially as they would cool off offensively from time to time. Now, one thing I want to say in Bam's defense, because... We're going to get to this when we talk about Anthony Davis uh, on a, at a later date. But when you had that much on your plate defensively, especially in the postseason, it wears on your legs. And so there's another level of conditioning and, and accuracy you need as an offensive player for your game to translate when you're that fatigued. And I, I think that's the next level for Bam. It's just getting to the point where he can bring the, all of the defensive versatility that he brings in the postseason while adding in the offensive reliability that he brought during the regular season. Uh, but despite him not necessarily shooting particularly well, I thought he had a lot of offensive impact this year. His passing ability unlocked a lot of stuff for Miami. Obviously only four assists per game, but I thought particularly in the short roll when uh, multiple defenders would be drawn to somebody like Gabe Vincent or Kyle Lowry or to Jimmy Butler, he was catching and making that hockey assist pass to the shooter on the weak side. A lot of those hot shooting nights for Miami, the fulcrum of it all was Bam at a bio and his ability to pass out of the middle of the floor. Um, he also was a really, really good offensive rebounder in this playoff run. He averaged three offensive rebounds per game, did a lot of damage to Al Horford in particular in that series, just throwing him around like a rag doll, getting to offensive rebounds. His overwhelming athleticism at the position is just such a huge weapon in the postseason. So his strengths, he's a top tier versatile defender, a good screener and passer, making him a great connective piece for an offense. He was a capable post scorer. He actually was over a point per possession in the post in this postseason run as well. A dominant rebounder, 10 rebounds a game, three offensive rebounds a game, and an excellent foundational big that makes every other thing that your basketball team needs to do easier. That's why we have to look beyond the box score. If you're the Miami Heat, if you're Eric Spolstra, you're going into a playoff series and you're game planning, having Bam Adebayo there to take a lot of the, the more difficult assignments just makes everything easier for you as a basketball team. I don't think it's a coincidence that we see duos like Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler or LeBron James and Anthony Davis, at least back in 2020, the versions of these duos where they they specialize in dirty work and things on the defensive end as well, those, those guys are just easier to build around, and they make easier roles for the role players around them. Uh, for weaknesses, I just put struggling to make the leap into a more reliable offensive player in the postseason. That's... <clears throat> Again, fatigue is always going to be a factor with how well he has to defend for what that team needs from him defensively. But getting back to the point where he's at 20 points per game on close to 60% true shooting, like he is in the regular season, in the postseason, that's the difference between where he is right now and being like a perennial all-NBA guy. It's there for the taking for Bam. He just needs to keep making that progress. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, 
The cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home services marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled professionals to get the job done well. Something I've always been a big believer in. When you try to take projects on yourself, you usually don't know what you're doing. You usually end up making mistakes, and it can be a big headache. And so not only can a professional from Angie get the job done more efficiently, but they also are people that you can support within your community as local businesses. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job is done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects easy. Consider Angie your hub for all your home improvement needs. They can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. Angie has cost guides that will tell you what others have paid for similar projects, both nationally and in your area, and the app is free and easy to use. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com or download the app today. Does the craziness of everyday life leave you feeling stressed and shedding? Since having kids, have you started to see a little more of your scalp? Are you unhappy with your hairline? When it comes to thinning hair, there are many root causes at play, and Nutrafol addresses them through a multi-targeted, whole-body approach. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement, with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, and faster-growing hair with less shedding. Physician-formulated with drug-free ingredients, Nutrafol supports healthy hair growth from within by targeting key root causes of thinning, stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, lifestyle, and metabolism through whole-body health. Take their hair wellness quiz at Nutrafol.com for a personalized hair health plan based on your specific root causes. With Nutrafol, building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online, no prescription, or doctor's visits required. Free shipping and automated deliveries ensure you'll never miss a day and you'll see results in three to six months. Take the first step to visibly thicker and healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription. And free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code Hoops. That's H-O-O-P-S. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and stylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code Hoops, H-O-O-P-S. That's Nutrafol.com, promo code Hoops. All right, number 23, Donovan Mitchell. Career high in both scoring volume and efficiency this year, 28 points per game, 61% true shooting, although four, just four rebounds and four assists. Um, remember that list I told you guys of the 15 high-volume pick-and-roll shot creators, the guys who have run at least 1,000? Donovan Mitchell finished third on that list, scoring 1.1 points per possession, including passes and pick-and-roll, really driven by his ability to score. It's the exact opposite of the Trey Young thing where he can't put the ball in the basket, but he's a great passer. Donovan Mitchell is an extremely limited playmaker, has a little bit of tunnel vision, struggles with game management. We'll get to that in a minute. 
But when it comes to putting the ball in the basket, there aren't many guys better than him. He was 39% on pull-up threes this year. That's an outstanding number. 48% on pull-up twos. That's a really good number. 56% on floaters. That's an outstanding number. And 62% at the rim, which if you're a guard, anything over 60% is excellent. So he's just deadly putting the ball in the basket. That was the driving force for most of his success in pick and roll this year. But in the playoffs, he fell off in a big way. 23 points per game on 52% true shooting. In particular, his pull-up three fell apart. He was just six for 30 against the Knicks on pull-up threes. It's kind of a weird trend because Donovan Mitchell used to be one of the most reliable playoff scorers in the league. In his first four playoff runs, he averaged 29 points per game on 57% true shooting, which is insane for a young scoring guard. Last two playoff runs, 25 points per game on 51% true shooting. Now, A lot of that has to do with the situation. Um, Last year, that Jazz team was kind of combusting in a lot of ways. This year, the Cavs, with their inability to have a reliable spot-up shooter in either corner, it just made it really hard for them to score out of pick-and-roll. But you have to acknowledge the fact that him leaning so heavily on pick-and-roll is a limitation there. We'll get to that in just a minute. To me, a lot of this has to do with just the inconsistencies that we see from players who rely really heavily on pull-up jump shooting. We talked about this with Kevin Durant. 55% on pull-up jump shots the last two regular seasons, and then he just can't make them at the same rate when he gets to the postseason. But we've seen him have other postseason runs, like in 2021, where he's making all of his pull-up jump shots, right? So, like, it's just – it's a finicky thing. Pull-up jump shots are are, – it's a very important skill in the NBA – but it's one of the most inconsistent. It's like sometimes they go in, sometimes they don't. This year for Phoenix, it was like like Devin Booker couldn't miss him, but Kevin Durant was missing him. You know, and who knows if next year if it's the opposite, right? It, it's not necessarily about them getting better or worse at it. It's just a very volatile skill. And Donovan Mitchell's one of those guys that just takes a ton of pull-up jump shots. And so guess what? Sometimes you're going to make 12 for 30, and sometimes you're going to go 6 for 30. And against the Knicks this year, he went 6 for 30. But again, I do think... I do think that the uh, uh, the limitations of their off-ball scoring played a role in that. Because, you know, here's the thing. The Knicks also had a, a limitation in off-ball scoring. But I picked the Knicks to win that series because I told you guys I thought Jalen Br- uh, Brunson was a slightly better player overall, even though he wasn't as good of like a top-end talented scorer as Donovan Mitchell. I thought he was a much better game manager. Now, what does that mean? It means managing the flow of the game, making sure that your team gets the right shot on every single possession, being very deliberate to get the right advantages. Whereas with Donovan Mitchell, it can be a little bit flying by the seat of his pants sometimes. A lot of times he's just coming down the floor, calling for a ball screen, jacking up a shot. And you would see stretches in that Knicks series where Jalen Brunson's methodically working down to get a good shot. Donovan Mitchell would, you know, over-penetrate and transition and miss or take a bad shot and pick and roll and miss. And so that decision-making process ended up being something that heavily favored Jalen Brunson. It's a very important thing in the postseason. And I actually believe he proved himself to be the better player as I predicted he would before the series. A, A big part of it is versatility, though. Like for Donovan Mitchell, almost everything he does right now is look to score out of pick and roll. Not a great passer out of pick and roll. Isolation, he's somewhat low volume, although he has some success there. Doesn't have a post game at all. I think he ran one post up all season long. Jalen Brunson has won, uh, during the regular season, ran almost twice as many isos and post ups as Donovan Mitchell. He's got this whole other side to his game. He can run pick and roll, and yeah, if you go underneath the screen, he's going to knock down the pull-up jump shot. You go over the top, he's going to work his way downhill. But he'll also be like, 
oh, like you got Chetty Osman on the on the court. We're going to run a guard-guard screen and get Chetty Osman switched on to me. And I'm just going to hit him with a series of dribbles into a little short step-back jump shot that I'm going to make two-thirds of the time because of how much separation I'm getting. Don, like Donovan Mitchell struggles with that part of the game. Again, if you're not a dominant defensive player and you're not a dominant playmaker, you've got to find a way to score efficiently, consistently. And if you rely too heavily on one thing, in this case, pull-up jump shooting and pick and roll, you can run into some limitations when you go cold. But having other punches, Donovan Mitchell's a big, strong guard, adding a post-up game so that you can do a little bit of what Jalen Brunson did during this postseason run, that would help a lot. Adding a, a Looking to score more in switches, clearing the side, do what Jimmy Butler did with the Heat. Get the matchup you want, clear the side, beat your man off the dribble and play drive and kick basketball from there. That methodical, more surgical part of the game is the next area of improvement for Donovan Mitchell. So in summary, top five scoring guard in the league. I would say if you're looking at small guards to get a bucket, I'd say Steph, Dame, and Kyrie are the only three guys I'd take over him. So he's the fourth best small scoring guard in the league. He's also hyper-efficient, although he hasn't been in the last two playoff runs. Um, but he's a bit one-dimensional as a scorer. And he does all almost all of his work out of pick and roll. So he needs to add some either like either an off-ball element like what Steph Curry does or more of a physical element in terms of posting or ISOing specific matchups and adding some of that half-court surgery to the table. Again, he's not a great playmaker or defender, so consistency with his scoring is an absolute must. All right, number 22, De'Aaron Fox, another new entry into the list. Regular season, 25 points, 4 rebounds, 6 assists on 60% true shooting. Just a deadly mix of paint scoring and a reliable pull-up jump shot. He averaged 12.2 points in the paint per game this year, which was third in the league among guards. Only Shea Gilgis-Alexander and John Morant were guards that were ahead of him in paint scoring. Super reliable short jump shot and floater. He shot 46% on pull-up jump shots inside the three-point line and 54% on floaters. Combining that with his ridiculous rim finishing, he was 72% at the rim in the regular season, which is just like off the charts good for a guard. That mixed into him being a very, very reliable score, especially in crunch time. And, you know, it was interesting because it translated at a really high level to the playoffs. You know, it's funny because a lot of times I talk about how clutch basketball is the closest replication of playoff basketball. Why? Because it's high pressure. Um, usually they're, uh, they, teams will start switching everything at that point. So your sets will stop working. And then it's like a lot of physicality. The refs swallow the whistle, right? It kind of replicates the playoff environment in an end of game environment. And so I don't think it's a coincidence that De'Aaron Fox, as good as he was in crunch time during this regular season, that he ended up having as successful a playoff run as he did. He ended up going up a level in scoring volume at 25, uh, 27 points per game, five rebounds and eight assists, 52% true shooting His efficiency went down a little bit. The big one there was at the rim. He was 72% at the rim in the regular season, but 49% against golden state. They just put their best athletes on him. There's a lot of Andrew Wiggins, a lot of Gary Payton, um, with Draymond Green and Kevon Looney just waiting at the, uh, under the basket. That's that high level playoff scouting that he's going to have to work his way around. But again, for his first playoff run, I was incredibly impressed just by his ability to get to his spots, his ability to uh, consistently beat people off the dribble. His playmaking has been a revelation. Eight assists per game in this postseason run, but he actually was really good during the regular season 
1.16 points per possession when he passed out of pick and roll this year. 1.26 points per possession when he passed out of ISO. Just a really good drive-in kick player. I went back and watched a bunch of tape today. Just doesn't overcomplicate things. Beats guys off the dribble. Finds the help defender. Kick out pass to the guy on the wing or underneath the basket for a dunk. He just is a really underrated passer for a guy that gets so much attention as a score. Uh, but you can always tell right away when you watch playoff basketball if a player has a skill or a trait that translates to that level. And almost immediately you could tell watching De'Aaron Fox, this dude can play in the playoffs. He's too quick. These dudes can't guard him. And he's got enough touch to make the shots over the top that he needs to make. I thought it was a really impressive first playoff run for him. In summary, he was the primary engine for the best offense in the NBA this season. He's a dribble drive guard that no one can keep in front, that has a reliable jump shot to keep people honest. He's a good playmaker and a good point of attack defender. That was another thing that stood out to me in the Warriors series. He was one of their best options to put on the Warriors perimeter players. Uh, obviously, there's an engagement factor there, and sometimes he conserves energy and takes possessions off, but he's a very capable point of attack defender. And I thought overall he had a more impactful playoff series than Donovan Mitchell. And I think right now he's a slightly better player overall. And that's why I have De'Aaron Fox at 22. Um, just so you guys know, like I have I have this all kind of split up into tiers. And I'll tell you guys when we get to the next tier. Um, but there are, there's not really much of a gap between these guys. Like you'll notice when I get to the top of this list, number 11 is not that much worse than number four. Like, it's tiniest of margin. As a matter of fact, number 11 kind of outplayed number four a little bit. That's a little hint for you guys, see if you can figure that out. Um, but, it, it, like, there's just not a big gap. The league is stacked with talent. You know, the gap between number 12 and the guys that I went over today is this small. And so when it comes to kind of like hand-wringing over which particular number, just keep that in mind. If I have a player that is on the list at, at a specific number that you disagree with, it's probably not because we have that different of an opinion of that player. It's just where he landed in my particular list where everything is super close. It's like these criticisms. Like I'm offering, you know, criticisms of these players, but that's all relative. These are the 25 best basketball players on the planet. These guys are incredible. You know, so like, let's, let's not overthink that side of things where this is a fun exercise for the off season. And at the end of the day, all of these guys are incredible. These were the list of guys that I considered that did not make the list. Bradley Beal, John Morant, although John Morant was the toughest one for me. But again, like I said, I went off of what I thought was a rough series in the Lakers series and just the immaturity off the court, which is starting to hurt his team. James Harden, uh, uh, the playoff decline was too much to look past this year. I was rooting for him last year, but the decline has just been too substantial. Laurie Markkinen, first time I kind of considered him. Damn near a 50-40-90 guy on high-volume scoring. Uh, Julius Randle made an All-NBA team this year, but I thought his playoff struggles, although he was hurt, um, were just a little too much. DeMar DeRozan, obviously missing the playoffs. Zach Levine missing the playoffs. Pascal Siakam missing the playoffs. Zion Williamson availability. Uh, Carl Towns inconsistency was what dropped him for me. Tyrese Halliburton's kind of entering into that conversation, but needs to have some playoff moments. Mikhail Bridges, another guy um, entering into the, those conversations. And then Drew Holiday, I thought had a really good season this year. Uh, someone that I considered for that spot as well. Again, all those guys. That That's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 players. So that means one of those guys would have ranked 39 for me. Like, 
that's just how crazy the league is. Uh, imagine, let's say that it's Drew Holiday is 39. The 39th best player in the league. Drew Holiday is a hell of a lot better than the guy who would have been the 39th best player in the league back in 2005. So that that just goes to show you where we're at as a league in terms of overall talent, and it makes it a lot of fun to cover on a daily basis. All right, guys, that is all I have for today. We will be back tomorrow with number 21, 20, and 19. As always, I sincerely appreciate you guys supporting the show, and I will see you tomorrow. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.